Welcome to the Broadway Church Leadership Podcast. My name is Paul and I'm your host. Sorry for the delay in getting back to you. It's been a few months since we've been able to put out some content. We've kind of been uh, delayed a little bit by COVID and different things like that, where we had some guests lined up and uh, we had some COVID interruptions to some of that. But we are back today and we are excited to begin a two-part series with Susan Wells. Susan Wells is an author and she's written a book called A Place at the Table. And I think it'll be very helpful for you in your real life as you understand deeper what it means to embrace the power of hospitality in your life, the power of showing up and letting God use you in powerful ways. It's a great story of Susan's life and her upbringing, as well as how God has been uh, present in her life and used these things to uh, glorify himself and empower Susan. So why don't we uh, dive right into our interview with Susan Wells on the Broadway Church Leadership Podcast. Well, we are finally here. It took a couple of rescheduling opportunities due to COVID and different things. And finally, we are sitting down with my friend Sue Wells. And I've had the privilege of knowing Sue for a few years now, but I'm going to let Sue introduce herself and uh, tell us a little bit about what life looks like for her. Sue, why don't you introduce yourself? Well, here I am. Um, Life looks different every single day. So uh, proud uh, grandma of seven children, as my husband says, with each grandchild, he just goes down in importance. So also proud wife of David and what life looks like. Uh, At times, traveling throughout the world uh, with my husband in ministry, Super involved in my local church, which I'm strongly committed to, and keeping busy at times speaking and writing, but um, uh, just really always wanting to see each and every day what supernatural miracle the Lord can have me be part of. Uh, Now, Sue, you'd be a great person to talk to about a lot of different topics and ministry in life uh, and you know, some of your passions. But the reason that I got you here today was as a result of a book that you have written called A Place at the Table. And so why don't you just tell our listeners, what was kind of the driving force behind you writing this book? And and who do you think this book is really, really for? I think sometimes as Christians and particularly evangelicals, even more Pentecostals, we tend to be very event-driven, which I love. It's, a, it's in our DNA. Mm-hmm. But yet we forget or we set aside that lives and the majority of lives are changed by people doing things behind the scenes uh, without the talents that we think we have, should have and the opportunities that we think we should have. And because my life was personally impacted, in fact, eventually my whole lives, because someone opened up their table to me, I want to reinforce that message. Mm-hmm. So... Now, you mentioned that that people that have impacted you through your life. This this book, as I read it, you know, I don't know if it was what I, maybe what I expected, I, but I was just so taken by these stories from your childhood. You, you tell these stories of these people that have impacted you throughout uh, your, your early years. And I, I really want to get our discussion going today by talking about this statement uh, from the introduction to the book. You said, your walk with Christ invades every relationship, especially those closest to home. How can we be a faithful presence in our families and communities? Now, tell me a little bit more about that statement and and uh, and the, the heart behind it or what it means. Maybe 
why I said it reveals my age. But years ago, I took every evangelism course you could possibly do. Looking back and on reflection, they were all about evangelizing strangers, how to go up to someone and give them a tract. Or how it, but yet, we would go out on evangelistic pursuits in the country or around the world, and then we come back home. And we had zero help with um, what what our everyday lives are. We all have friends, family, work associates uh, that we want to shine Christ's love and carry His presence. And I just don't find that addressed very much and the particular challenges that go with that. So uh, that's interesting. You talk about evangelism. It seems like um, maybe I also grew up in in the generation where evangelism was this hat you put on and a hat you took off. I remember being this nervous uh, young teenager standing at the foot of the escalator at the Peter Pond Mall in Fort McMurray because we were out doing evangelism with our youth group and and uh, we were doing our best, but but it, it was it was kind of this uh, gotcha moment where you know you were trying to pigeonhole this person and get them to respond to you in 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 conversation and and that. That can be one way of doing evangelism, but what you're talking about is much more uh, whole life. I think evangelism, presence evangelism. Am I? I don't want to put words in your mouth, but can you uh, expand a little bit more on that? Well, you said the correct phrase. That really is our whole lives, as opposed to events now and then, say mm-hmm. proportionately. And so, basically, as we live our lives. Um, Within within the context of people who are close to us, that we interact each and every day, is how do we show up faithfully carrying the presence of Christ? Mm-hmm. It's Even Scripture says to some it can be like a perfume and aroma. To others it can be a stench. So what do you do in each mm-hmm. case? And that's what I wanted to address and to just keep driving home if we keep showing up mm-hmm. as opposed to standing at the escalator one time. Sure. If we keep showing up. Can we believe God for things to change? And your book was a great kind of synopsis of the people that showed up for you, right? I think that's what you're, when you're highlighting these stories, you're highlighting and thanking and and praising God for the people that showed up uh, in the seasons of your life. In chapter one of your book, you wrote uh, this phrase. You said, when hurt by the very ones who are supposed to love us, we become painfully aware that we are born into this imperfect, not yet kingdom. Now, if someone's listening to this right now and they've been uh, hurt by someone they love, what would what would you want to tell them? Because I think really every one of us listening has been hurt in some way by someone we love, and some of those hurts have been tragic. Some of them have been have had huge consequences. Some of them have uh, not as much. But every one of us processes that hurt in a different way. What would you want to say to someone who's listening that has been hurt by someone uh, that they that they love? And when I talk about this flawed, not yet kingdom, nothing hurts more than when it's the very people who are supposed to love you the mm-hmm. most. Sure. I want to be very careful in the book to even describing some people like my dad, mm-hmm. not as just one dimensional. My dad's not the man who was, could be the raging alcoholic at times. Mm-hmm. He had a great position on the railway, but he could drink and then not drink. And, and, and we never knew which way his personality could go, but he's a kind and loving man, but at times... It could be dangerous at home. Mm -hmm. You shouldn't have to feel those kind of feelings. Mm -hmm. And so people have hurts on many, many different levels. I saw how our home would descend even with the behavior of my wonderful mom when, you know, alcohol was present. So I grew up from very early age realizing that uh, people would say and do things that that you shouldn't. So I had to make a choice. How am I going to handle this? So it didn't mean bearing my feelings, denying them, but how was I going to handle those with God's help? 
So let's talk a little bit more about that because I think there's this tension we battle where we're trying to be gracious with people and realize that they're human at the same time when hurts happen, they, they're very hurtful. So how do we hold that, those two realities at the same time where we're saying, okay, I love this person. They, they've hurt me. They've hurt me deeply, but, but I love them. And I still see them for this, who they are when they're not that way. Maybe if, if, if we're talking about an addiction or, or some sort of something like that, how do we, as Christ followers, and, and you had to process this as a child, right? And yep. many many of these things as a child, and and as a, maybe as a new believer, how do you look back on that years later and say, "Here's the lessons I learned in holding that tension of a person who is flawed, and yet is I see Christ in them as well." How how do you hold that tension? I know you're not supposed to use the phrase suppress or put it in a box. That's, mm-hmm. that's really bad nowadays. Mm-hmm. But um, I look at uh, my favorite example is uh, David's forgiveness of his brothers. Mm-hmm. And it says when they show up, one translation said, David wept so loud he could be heard throughout the whole palace. Mm-hmm. And yet at the same time, he talks about naming his children, but God has saved me, God has redeemed me. How do those two come together? So I'll use the example of my dad's relationship with me. And when he drank, he could be very sentimental or things could be dangerous. And I got to admit that I think God helped me in this because I'm not Mm. exactly a doormat normally. But I could see my dad for the man he was or maybe even the man I wished he could be. And because I, even as a child, I could see God's bigger purpose for my family. And I'm not trying to be super spiritual because I'm definitely a person who stands up for themselves. But I just saw him in his flawed state, and it definitely hurt at the time. I'm not going to deny that. I cried the tears, right? Um, I mentioned in the book at one point where my dad's saying, you don't belong here anymore. I'm packing your suitcase. Mm -hmm. You're leaving. And I'm 13 years old, and I'm weeping. But the next day, he says, hey, little girl, can I make you some eggs? He doesn't Mm -hmm. even remember the night before, and I could somehow keep trusting that he believed me. Mm. Trusting. That he believed, like, tr- yeah. So there's an immense amount of trust you're putting in, really, in God that He is superintending this situation. I don't know if you saw it as a child, but but the resting in God that He cares even in the midst of this storm, right? Yeah, I, I think that's a, a really powerful uh, uh, story and a really powerful message that really uh, translates to to all areas of life. One of the things I loved about this book was just the pictures you painted of the different characters. Like I felt in some ways like I was reading one of these uh, great novels where you f- get immersed in these different characters, right? And, and one of them was was Emma. And, and you tell the story of Emma and, and in that chapter with Emma, the very last sentence of the chapter says, practice faithfulness even if you are confused by the big picture. Uh, can you tell me a little bit more about Emma and tell our re- listeners a little bit more about Emma and tell us a little bit about how you've seen God's faithfulness at work in your life? There was no one like Emma. Mm. <laughs> um, she um, was wheelchair bound, you know, didn't have the use of her legs. And she's got this crazy, insatiable thirst to mm. win the whole world. Wow. And so here she is. She and she can't even leave her house because there's just other physical problems that date back to her acquiring polio. And 
All she wants to do is win the whole world for Christ. So she prays faithfully, does, follows all the rules, does everything to be healed for one reason only, and yet she's never healed. And it's almost like God's kind of cruel, like, hey, you want to win the whole world, which, by the way, most people don't care, mm-hmm. because I'm going to give you one thing. And he never said those words to her. It's just me looking back. You've got your kitchen table, and that's it. She's got a kitchen table and a precocious five-year-old mm. neighbor who keeps stopping by, and that's how the story starts. Yeah, and, and but again, she what she had was a table, right? She she took what she had, she used it, and and it was a huge it was a huge blessing to you. Uh, you refer to Emma as someone with a big call to the world, so somebody here might feel the same way. Like they feel like they can see farther than just the the room they are in, or they can even see farther than the limitations that have been put on them. They can see farther than the situations that they find themselves in. What would you say to someone who might feel like they're in the same uh, boat? Looking back, I just wonder why she didn't get angry at God and give up. Mm -hmm. And so when I say she's faithful to the small things, she's waiting for this big thing, which she never stopped believing would happen. Mm -hmm. In the meantime, there's this five-year-old knocking at her door. Mm -hmm. So she just starts reading her Bible stories. If you're bitter and disappointed, you don't do that. You don't Mm -hmm. even bother with this little thing. And so month after month, year after year, she pours into this child and pulls up this huge (laughs) Bible story Mm -hmm. book. And as I turn five and six and seven, she shares God's love for me. Mm -hmm. And I'm just gonna throw this in while I think of it. She has a desire to win the whole world, but she pours her life into the little girl. And now I travel around the world with my husband. I share the story of Emma, and it hit me once. Emma's story is gone around the world, Mm -hmm. but it ended up going through the little girl Mm -hmm. that she pours Bible stories into. So Emma's dream really was realized in that she empowered someone else to do it, right? And again, I feel like growing up in ministry, for me, early in ministry, that idea of doing was kind of the the hallmark of ministry. Like it was like the talent that you acquire, the abilities that you have, your preaching skill, your leading worship skill, whatever it was, was what put you out there. And what I'm realizing now is that my ability to empower others to do things is actually the way that I believe God wants his kingdom to grow and he wants his family to grow across the world. How have you seen uh, that dynamic? played out in your life or in your ministry? My husband has a very public ministry, Mm -hmm. and actually so do I. Mm -hmm. But to tell you the truth, in our spare time, on our holidays, we do the the behind-the-scenes things Mm -hmm. because we both are first in our family to come to faith. And so is, is our home open? Is there a table? And so at times it's disappointing. And going back to Emma, I couldn't have been that charming and interesting a person (laughs) that every time I knocked at the door, she was dying to be with me. So there's a huge element of sacrifice Mm -hmm. and a huge element of just pouring and planting, always looking for the small things. And uh, so even asking for miracles and whether or not we see them right away, who knows who we pour into, what's going to happen. That's up to God, but we're going to be there 
for sure if we don't show up, nothing's going to happen. Yeah, People yeah. always worry about nothing happening. Right. Well, okay, take one step in and now at least mm -hmm. you've got a 1% chance. Yeah. We can be guaranteed of the conditions that will produce failure <laughs> if we don't show up. We can only trust God for the conditions for success and one of those things is showing up. If we don't show up, nothing will happen. If we do show up, God has the ability to, to, to move. I think we'll stop it right there. This has been a great start to our discussion with Susan about the power of hospitality and uh, diving into her book, A Place at My Table. And if you want to uh, check out her resources and order the book, you can visit uh, www.aplaceatmytable.ca. That has all the information about uh, Susan's book and where you can order it. Thanks so much for being part of the Broadway Church Leadership Podcast. A big thanks to Grant McAllister, our audio technician, and he also wrote the jingle that you'll hear at the beginning and the end of the podcast. We'd like to remind you that when it comes to leadership, that'll do, just won't do. And that's why we do the Broadway Church Leadership Podcast. See you again next month.